Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Today, we're not only celebrating Candy Palooza, but we are wrapping up the series that we've been in all month called Relational Vampires. And because it's spooky season, we all know what vampires do, right? They want to suck your blood. But relational vampires, as we've said through this series, are those people who can just suck the life out of us, right? And, and somebody probably came to your mind when I said that, right? Somebody who just like brings you down, somebody who uh, just, like I said, they suck the life out of you. They make it harder to just get through this life that we all have. And uh, that may sound kind of intense for us to talk about at church, but the reality is we want to be honest about some of the struggles we have as it relates to loving others. And we've said every week of this series that there is a simple but foundational idea behind why we're talking about this. And that simple idea is this, that loving people is important. And I know that feels like elementary school, right? (laughs) It's like, oh, they love each other, guys. But Uh, that's actually something that Jesus instructed us to do. In fact, Jesus was asked, what is the best way to honor God? Like, what does God really want from people? And Jesus's answer is that we should love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength, and we should love people. We should love our neighbor as ourselves. And so basically, Jesus is saying that our love for God has to be expressed in our love for the people around us. And while that seems like a good idea and all of us are like, yeah, I love each other. Good call. Uh, The truth is loving one another is often more difficult than it sounds. It's easy to say we want to love one another, but the truth is some people are easier for us to love than other people along the way. And we've said that's okay. That's okay for us to talk about. It's okay for us to acknowledge because we have all kinds of differences, like personality differences or personal preferences. Like maybe we didn't show your favorite candy. Maybe you're really into spree or something. I don't know. And you're like, man, I didn't get my candy. Like, that's okay. We can have different preferences. That doesn't make us bad, but it can make it difficult sometimes for us to relate to one another. Uh, We've said all along the way that sometimes if you're going through a difficult circumstance, it can make relationships harder right? Whether you're going through it or the person you're trying to love is going through something difficult, it it can just hijack uh, the way that our relationships work. And so we've been talking over the past few weeks about specific types of people that all of us encounter in life, specific types of people uh, that it's difficult to love, but that we're still called to love, and that we've been trying to learn some new skills uh, to be able to do so, to be able to show love to the people who suck the life out of us. And one other disclaimer that we've offered all along the way is that while we're talking about those people out there as if they're the problem and we have to learn how to love them, the truth is all of us can become those people to somebody else if we're not careful, that none of us are immune from these things that we're talking about. And so while we have our eye on how do we love them, we also wanna keep an eye on the mirror to make sure we don't become them in other people's lives. And so I'll give you uh, just a rapid fire recap of where we started and uh, where we've been throughout this series. On week one, we asked how do we love people who are controlling And we said that people who are controlling or manipulative, often they have a plan for your life. They have an agenda for what you should be doing. And the way that we love them is we have to be clear about what God has called us to. Because if we're not clear about that, most of us will act like people pleasers and we'll wanna go with what other people say rather than standing our ground on what God has called us to. And that idea of calling, it can seem really big and really out there, like calling means selling all of your possessions and moving to some foreign country to be a missionary or something. And it may mean that, but for most of us, calling is more everyday and simple. 
Calling is the calling on your life to be a mom or to be a dad or to be a grandma or a grandpa or the, the job that you have and the way that you do your work, the way that you exist in your neighborhood or are a part of this community. Those can be callings on our lives. And what we said in week one is that getting clear about that calling helps us say yes to the things God wants us to say yes to. And it also helps us say no when we need to draw a line in the sand with a controlling person, that setting that boundary is actually the loving thing to do. So that's week one. Uh, on week two, we asked how do we love people who are critical, those people who always seem like they can tear you down or always have a negative comment to make. And we said often when we love a critical person, often we don't respond. That the loving thing to do is actually let their offense or let their criticism just pass over you and that you don't have to take the bait. You don't have to type out the reply, right? You don't have to make the comment every time you see it. So uh, often we just let it pass over us. Sometimes we do respond, but when we respond, we respond carefully. That we don't react emotionally in the moment, but we remove ourselves for a second. You might type the email, but you don't send the email, right? Like you take a minute to respond with wisdom. Uh, we did say that occasionally, on, on the other side of a critical person or somebody's criticism of you, occasionally, occasionally you listen and you make a change because sometimes we need to be critiqued. Sometimes God uses other people to challenge us in ways that we need to grow. So occasionally you listen and you make a change, but no matter what, we always, always have to guard our heart as it relates to a critical spirit because it can be the cycle we fall into where somebody is hurt and so they say something angry or mean and it's critical and that hurts. So then we get angry and we say something mean and critical and it hurts and on and on and on it goes. And man, we've seen that cycle in our world right now, haven't we? Where people are just lashing out at each other and it just, we're all trapped in it. And so we said as Jesus people, we wanna be different. We wanna break that cycle. So that was week two. Last week we talked about uh, people who are needy and how we can love them by actually helping them. That, that often what a needy person says they want isn't actually what they really need. And so the loving thing for us to do is to give strategically and wisely to understand what do they actually need and how can we give them a hand up and not just a hand out along the way. And we said that we have to serve wisely too. We have to respect our own boundaries and make sure that our cup is full so that we can pour out into other people. And we wrapped up by acknowledging the fact that all of us are needy people, that we shouldn't feel superior to anyone but rather as we all recognize that we all have needs, we get the opportunity to consistently point one another back to Jesus who can actually meet those needs. So that's where we've been. Uh, today, we're gonna wrap things up by talking about how to love people who are hypocritical. How do we love these people that we're called to love, these people that, that God loves, but that can be really difficult for us to deal with? And when I talk about somebody who's a hypocrite, what I mean is somebody uh, where what they say and what they do doesn't match up. Somebody who maybe presents a certain image of themselves, but their behavior reveals something different than what they're presenting to you. And just by show of hands, like how many of you know a hypocrite? Just put them up high, be proud, you're safe, I won't, okay. How many of you are sitting next to a hypocrite? Yeah, yeah, smart, whoa, 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 I saw a hand go up, watch out, have fun. Lunch is going to be great. Um, yeah, don't do that today, okay? No elbows, no finger pointing. I'm teasing, but the reality is learning how to relate to and ultimately love a hypocrite, it's a big deal because unfortunately, hypocrisy, it's just a part of our culture. It's a part of our world. I mean, I don't know if you noticed, like every hand went up. All of us are like, yeah, I know somebody who presents an image that's different than how they really are. And unfortunately, hypocrisy has been a part of church cultures as well. I mean, we've all heard of scandals recently where maybe a leader wasn't who they presented themselves to be and, and it caused pain and it caused hurt. Or maybe you've been on the other side of a Christian who acted better or tried to act better than they really were. And it caused pain and it caused confusion. This is, in fact, the number one criticism that non-Christians give to Christians. 
that when they look at our lives, they may hear the things that we say that we believe or the songs that we sing, but when they look at our lives, they think they're not any different than anybody else. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. In fact, the speaker and author, Brendan Manning, uh, said it really well when he said this. He said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today, in other words, the thing that makes it hard for people to believe that there even is a God, is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out of the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. And if you grew up in the church in the 90s or the early 2000s, you hear, what if I stumble, right? DC talk. Yeah, if you don't know, you're fine. But anyway, I love the way he puts that because the stakes are so high, right? The stakes are so high. The world is watching. And if they want to know who Jesus is, they're going to look at the church. And often, when they've looked at our example, they haven't liked what they've found because they think it's just a bunch of hypocrites. And we have to learn how we can remove hypocrisy from the equation in our own lives and how we can love those who are struggling uh, with acting like a hypocrite along the way. We have to learn how to love hypocritical people and how we can avoid becoming a hypocrite ourselves. And so to build a foundation for where I want to go today, um, first I want to define hypocrisy. And to do that, I actually want to talk about what hypocrisy isn't. Because I think we kind of like jump to extremes when we think about a hypocrite. Like maybe you think about the big stories or the big cases where somebody presented a version of themselves that wasn't accurate and then you get angry and like, oh, we hate those people. But if you think about your own life, I think many of us, when we think about being a hypocrite, if we're like self-reflective at all, you feel a little bit of shame, maybe even a little bit of embarrassment. Like, you know, I don't always do the things that I say I want to do or I don't always live up to my own ideals. So maybe I'm a part of the problem. But what I want to start out with is recognizing that hypocrisy is not the difference between what we do and what we wish we did. Hypocrisy is not the difference between what we do and and those ideals that we want to live up to. Like, oftentimes, maybe you felt this before. You're like, man, I want to read the Bible more. That seems like a good thing to do as a Jesus follower, but I just struggle with it. I don't do it very well. That doesn't necessarily make you a hypocrite. Uh, maybe you have some kind of hang-up in your life, and you're like, I want to stop doing this thing, but I keep going back to it. I'm still struggling. That doesn't necessarily make you a hypocrite. If you're like, man, I just keep messing up, and I wish I wouldn't, that's not necessarily hypocrisy. Sometimes that's just the journey of growth. All of us are growing spiritually. All of us still have room to go, as Lindsay said earlier. All of us still have more to learn uh, along the way, and that doesn't make you a hypocrite. But what does make you a hypocrite? Hypocrisy, it's the gap between what we show versus who we are. It's that gap between the way we present ourselves to the world and what's really going on inside of us. It's the difference between what we say and how we live, or maybe another way of saying that is it's the gap between our public persona, right? Instagram you, the the you that you want everybody to see you as, versus your private character, who you really are when nobody else is looking, when there's nothing to present. That gap between those two things is where hypocrisy comes into play. And hypocrisy, it's not a new thing for us in 2022. In fact, Jesus, when he walked this earth, talked about hypocrisy and confronted hypocrites often. But when Jesus referred to somebody as a hypocrite, he was actually referring to uh, Greek language at the time that came from the theater. There was this term, uh, hypocrites, that was an actor or a stage player who in the midst of a drama would wear a mask throughout the play to hide their true character. It it was kind of a gag throughout these old Greek plays where there would be these actors wearing masks. Like, you know the famous, like, smiley face, sad face masks? Those are kind of what I'm talking about. They would wear these masks so you wouldn't recognize who their character really was all throughout the play. And I think that gives us an image for what hypocrisy can look like and can feel like in our world today, too. 
many of us put on a mask in different environments to try and hide what's really going on or try and fit in with the other people around us. And it happens often in the church, right? There's maybe that guy you've met before who has such strict and firm moral standards for everybody else, but you know that he's really doing that to hide the brokenness that's inside of him. That he sets firm boundaries for everybody else, but you don't even live up to your own standards. You break your own moral code. Uh, maybe you've met the Lego movie guy where everything is awesome all the time, like you're always happy and nothing's ever bad, but if you actually went behind the mask, you would recognize that in that person's life, there's actually a lot of pain and, and maybe some difficult things that they're carrying, but staying happy all the time is a way that they avoid dealing with that stuff. Uh, relevant to the series, we've talked about being Christian nice, where like we're just kind of surface level kind to everybody, but we never actually deal with how we really feel. And so we're like nice to one another, but we really don't like one another. And, and under the surface, maybe you're like seething with anger or just struggling. And, and, and it's this mask that we can all tend to hide behind. And it's a big deal for us to address this reality in our lives because Jesus had no tolerance for hypocrisy. In fact, one of the groups of people that Jesus had his harshest criticism towards, that Jesus uh, frequently challenged as he walked this earth, were specifically religious leaders who were hypocrites. Jesus would go on these amazing rants and he would challenge them and he would call out their hypocrisy. And if you read through Matthew's gospel, his account of Jesus' life, uh, in chapter 23, there's this rant that Jesus goes on where he says, woe to you hypocrites. He says it seven times in seven different ways. He like throws these one-liners like, woe to you hypocrites because you don't do the things that you say you want others to do. And then eventually in Matthew uh, chapter 23, verse 28, Jesus says this, he says, outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And I would be willing to bet you've experienced somebody like that too, right? Outwardly, they look really good and shiny, but inwardly, there's more going on. Maybe it's that guy who hangs out with your friend group and he shows up to the party, right? And he eats the chips and dip and he talks and he acts like everything's fine. But you know that he's actually struggling, that he's addicted to something, and everybody knows it, but nobody's talking about it. That's hypocrisy when that happens. Uh, it's maybe that good Christian kid that you have or that you are, right, who, who goes to Story Students every Sunday night and, like, sings the songs, maybe even serve. Like, you're involved, you're doing your thing. But on Saturday, you were at the party, right, and you weren't exactly singing worship music, if you know what I'm saying. Or maybe, like, Monday through Friday, you're cheating on your test, and then, like, church you shows up on Sunday, but then other you shows up in all those other environments. That's hypocrisy when that happens. Maybe you have a boss uh, who talks really spiritually. He always talks about his church. Like, uh, he runs a Christian company, whatever that is. And uh, then he treats his workers horribly. And the, the policies in your company, they don't treat people fairly or treat them well. There's a lack of integrity in your workplace. And when we see that, we think that's hypocrisy. Like, that's, that's not how it's supposed to be. And our question today is, what do we do if you're in a situation like that? How do you love somebody like that? And how do we make sure that we don't become that? And to know how to love a hypocrite, I think it helps for us to have some kind of understanding about why people become hypocrites or why we view them as hypocrites, at least. Knowing why somebody is a hypocrite helps us determine how we should respond to them in that moment. And really, there's one specific uh, type of hypocrite that we're going to spend the rest of our time on to together. But first, I want to share with you two types that maybe just show up that we should give a little more grace to. And the first is this. Uh, sometimes maybe people don't really know God, and that's why they look like a hypocrite to us. Sometimes Jesus followers can have a tendency to take the standards that we try to live up to and try and apply them to everybody else, whether or not they have a relationship with Jesus or not. Like, sometimes 
Christians try and judge non-Christians by Christian standards, which makes no sense because they're not Christians. They're not obligated to live up to those standards. And so sometimes we can label people as hypocrites when really they just don't even know God yet. Like, maybe you don't know this. I'm so glad that you're here today. But church attendance doesn't necessarily equal a relationship with God. I think it's a, a great thing. Like, it's a helpful vehicle. I'm so glad you're here. Like, keep it up. But you can do it every week week after week after week, month over month, year over year, and if you don't open up your heart and actually have a relationship with God, it may not mean much in the end, right? People can sit in the row and maybe like you make a snap judgment about their behavior and like, oh, they're such a hypocrite, but maybe they don't even know God yet. This isn't new for us either, but uh, John wrote about a group of Jesus followers, and here's what he said of them. He said, whoever says I know him, referring to Jesus, whoever says I know him but doesn't do what he commands is either a liar or the truth is not in that person, right? They, like they don't have the truth in them, and so we can't hold them accountable to a standard or, or a value that they don't have, that they don't live out. And so sometimes we make that judgment and we call someone a hypocrite, but they simply just don't know Jesus yet, and, and that's why they act the way that they do, and that's why there's inconsistencies in their life. Uh, so we're not really talking about that kind of a person today. Another uh, thing that we can see that sometimes we want to label as hypocrisy is maybe there's people who just don't know better yet. Like, I love this about our church. We deliberately want to be a church that is outward focused, that is inviting people in who are far from God, who don't know Jesus, and we want to connect their story to God's story. But if we really do that well, it's going to get kind of messy because people show up and they're like, yeah, okay, I get it, and they give their life to Jesus, but the next day their life doesn't necessarily look dramatically different, right? There's this mess, there's this process of growing in our relationship with God. And uh, when it comes to like a new Christian or somebody who's new to following Jesus, their life may not look all cleaned up and shiny and perfect yet, right? Yours probably doesn't either, no matter how long you've been following Jesus. Uh, but that's okay, and we don't necessarily want to label those people as hypocrites or write them off and confront them. Uh, Paul talks about a group of Jesus followers who are like this in the Corinthian church. There was a lot happening in the first century Corinthian church. Uh, but Paul says this to this specific group. He says, I can't address you as people who live by the Spirit, or in other words, as spiritually mature people, but as people who are still worldly mere infants in Christ. And so in the same way that I talk to my four-year-old differently than I talk to all of you, usually, uh, like Paul's saying that sometimes we need to make an allowance for people who are new in their faith, that, that people like this, they aren't necessarily hypocrites. They don't need confronting. They need coaching. They need instructing. They need mentors. They need people who will help them understand what the journey really looks like. And I can remember uh, when I was in college, I was a part of this Bible study, and we went to Ball State, so like Stuff happened, right? It was a crazy party school, or so they say. Uh, but there are these guys who would show up, and they weren't Jesus followers. They were in the like whole party scene, but they would come to this Bible study, and they would uh, like get to know who Jesus is, and they would want in. They'd be like, yeah, I, I buy it. I want to be a part of this. But their lives didn't like instantly change overnight. And, and I can remember there were guys who were like, they became Christians, and they were so excited, they wanted to go out and celebrate by drinking. And we're like, oh, <laughs> like, yes, celebrate. Maybe we'll like work on the how, right? Or... Or there was a guy, I remember he would show up and he would consistently pray that his girlfriend wouldn't get pregnant. <laughs> and we're like, oh, the praying's good, <laughs> right? Like, way to go. So, like, but that wasn't like, like they were new to this. And so rather than confronting them, condemning them, pushing them away, our job in that moment was to come alongside them and to teach them and to help them grow in that way. So we're not necessarily talking about people like that today either, but the people I want to spend the rest of our time with are those who maybe know better but they still disobey God, right? Those people who ought to know better, 
those people who have been at this long enough, those people who, who you've seen maybe even live differently, but there's been some kind of change in their life, and, and they're not living up to the life that God has called them to. What do we do when we face a hypocrite like that? Well, again, we're not the first people to encounter this, but Peter one time wrote a letter to some Jesus followers, and he said this. He said that you are free, and yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. In other words, we've been set free, but that doesn't mean that we've just got a, like, a license to do whatever, that it's just like a free-for-all and there's no consequences or, or anything like that. But often hypocrites think that they're above the rules or, or they rationalize their bad behavior. Maybe there's somebody you know and they're addicted to porn and they say like, well, it doesn't really hurt anybody, right? Nobody really even knows about it. It just is what it is and they justify that behavior. Maybe you know somebody and they're not materialistic. They just like nice things, <laughs> Right? They, they found a way to justify a value that isn't great for them. Uh, Jude, who was another leader in the church, uh, said this. He said, for certain individuals, they pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality, and they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. And maybe you've met somebody like that, or maybe that's been you before, where you think that grace is like a get-out-of-jail-free card. And as long as you've got it, like you can go around as many times and do whatever you need, and then at the end of the day, you're fine. And, and Today, what I want to talk about is this group of people, right? People, not those who don't know better, not those who don't know Jesus, but those who do and who still struggle. How do we love a hypocrite like that? How do we respond? Like, is it even any of our business to respond? Should we confront it or should we just like avoid it and pray for it occasionally? <laughs> like, like, what do we do? And, and the good news is we have examples because the prophets and, and leaders like Paul and Peter and even Jesus himself all confronted hypocrites when they encountered them, but they did it in a very specific way, and that's what we're going to talk about, is how can we prayerfully and lovingly confront those around us who are the kind of hypocrite that knows what they're doing and need called out and called up to a different standard. And so the first thing that I would share with you today that we can do is we actually want to confront hypocrites with the goal of restoration, we want to confront, but we want to confront with the goal of restoring them. And so often in our lives and in our culture, that's not what justice looks like for us. Right? Often when we encounter somebody who frustrates us, somebody who maybe we think is a hypocrite, we want to confront them with the goal of like finishing them. Right? <laughs> like We want to punish them or we want to get back at them for what they're doing. We think that's what justice looks like. But in God's economy, justice always leads to restoration. God is always pursuing the restoration of everything as he intended it to be. And that's true as we encounter hypocrites as well. Uh, here's how Paul wrote about it in his letter to the uh, church in the region of Galatia. He said, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. He doesn't say you should condemn that person and cancel them. He doesn't say you should put that person down. He doesn't say you should like, rub their nose in it and make sure they feel it. No, he says you should restore them gently. You should seek to understand and you should come alongside them. It's this difference between a restorative justice versus like a, a retributive justice or a punishing justice. God calls us to be people who try and restore people back to his image alive in them. A different translation of that same verse says it this way, that if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. I love the imagery of that, right? Gently and humbly guide them back to the right path. 
And what you and I are often tempted to do as we encounter somebody that we feel like we need to confront is we think it's our job to play judge. Where we show up and we say, your behavior is wrong and your sentence is this, right? But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Rather, he says, humbly and gently guide them, right? Come alongside them and lead them back to the right path. It's not our job to be the judge, but it is our job to guide them and to help them. And what that means for you and for me, if there's a hypocrite in your life that you feel like you need to confront, your goal in that confrontation isn't to be right. Your goal is to help them be right with God. Your goal is to help restore them. And there's this incredible example of what this looks like. Uh, We actually talked about it a few weeks ago. When Jesus encounters a woman who was caught in adultery, and what happens in this encounter is the religious leaders had found this woman and they brought her out into the public area where they were going to make a spectacle of punishing her. It was that punishing kind of justice that I was talking about because the law allowed them to do so. And so these religious leaders gathered around and they were all ready to stone this woman for her sin. And Jesus sees it and he says, hey, how about we do this? What if the person among you with no sin throws the first stone? And then it says that Jesus kind of unexpectedly gets down and he just starts writing in the sand. And we don't exactly know what he is writing. Uh, Some scholars have supposed that maybe Jesus was writing out the sins of all those religious leaders, right? He's just writing it in the sand. But slowly all of them drop their stones and walk away as they realize they're not qualified if that's the standard. And Jesus, who is qualified, by the way, looks up and walks towards the woman. And she says, does nobody condemn you? And she said, no, they didn't. And then Jesus, full of grace, says, I don't condemn you either, right? This gentle, humble return, I don't condemn you either. And then full of truth, says, now go and sin no more, right? He comes alongside of her, and and he doesn't punish her, he doesn't dismiss her, he says, go and sin no more, right? Get back on the path with me. That's what it can look like when we confront someone in this way. But the second thing we need to remember, if there's a hypocrite in your life that you feel a need to confront, It's that we should confront people carefully. We should be deliberate about it. It kind of goes back to uh, something we said a few weeks ago in this series, that we shouldn't just respond emotionally when we encounter somebody like this, but we should be intentional about how we respond. That we have to confront because we care, but we should do so humbly. We should do so carefully. And Paul actually goes on in that letter to the Galatians, right after he says, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, he issues this warning He says, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. And the reason I think Paul does this is because when you or I are in a situation where we're confronting somebody, we are most vulnerable to being prideful, right? In that moment where you're trying to like help somebody set something right, you are most vulnerable to becoming self-righteous and thinking, I know the right thing and I'm gonna fix you or I'm gonna correct you along the way. And the problem is scripture teaches us pride comes before a fall, that if you get wrapped up in that pride, if you get self-righteous in that way, you yourself could become just as big of a hypocrite as the person you're trying to confront. Elsewhere, Paul says uh, to the Corinthian church, he says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. In other words, don't get puffed up, don't get arrogant, don't ignore what you're doing, but be careful if you're gonna step into this, especially in our like buzzword cancel culture today. We've got to be so careful about this because our knee-jerk reaction when we see something we don't like is to write them off and to dismiss them, right? To like smash their career, to make them go away, to pretend it never happened, to go on with how right and how good we are. It's this weird self-righteousness or pride that has snuck into our world. And often, here's the truth, we're often most critical in the areas that we're actually more, most vulnerable, 
Right? Often the things that we critique the most are the things that we, if we're honest, don't like about ourselves, the things that we ourselves struggle with along the way. So how do we confront carefully with a heart to actually restore people? Well, Jesus gives us an example. He gives us a playbook, essentially, in Matthew chapter 18 is where it's recorded. I'm not going to read through all of it, but I'll give you like the quick overview. I think this is some of Jesus's most practical, helpful, like simple teaching that he ever does, and I think it's some of his least applied teaching, to be honest. But Jesus goes through, and he talks about what to do if you're in a confrontation. And he starts out, and he says, if your brother or your sister has sinned against you. And what that means at the beginning is Jesus is talking about Jesus followers confronting other Jesus followers. He's not talking about Jesus followers like going out to a watching world and critiquing non-Christians' behavior. Sometimes we're known for doing that. We're known for taking our standard and trying to call other people who don't follow Jesus to it while not really living up to it ourselves and not really holding our brothers and sisters accountable. Uh, But he's not talking about that here. He's talking about like people who are trying to follow Jesus together. How do we confront them and how do we uh, move forward in a healthy way? And what I want you to know about Story Church, if you're here and you're just checking stuff out, is we will like relentlessly make sure this is a safe space where you can belong before you know what you believe where you're not going to be held to some like standard of behavior or, or like you have to change before you can be a part of this movement. Uh, you're invited in, and our hope is that you would find that belonging and that would lead to belief that would ultimately lead to some change in behavior maybe over time. But anyway, he's talking about Jesus followers. If you're confronting somebody else who wants to follow Jesus too, and he really simply offers this profound practice, he says if you need to confront them, go to them just between the two of you. And that's radical, because what do most of us do? We go to Facebook, right? Or, or you go to your friends and you say, hey, did you see what so-and-so was doing? And I can't believe that. And then it gets all gossipy, and then it gets weird, and then there's this rumor mill happening. And it's like so unhealthy. Most of us won't do this simple thing that Jesus instructs, and he's just go to the person. And between the two of you, humbly, lovingly, gently, try and confront them, try and lead them and win them over to restore them. And then he gives instruction. He says, if that doesn't work, bring a friend. Like, try again. Bring somebody else with you. Bring their mom, right? Bring, bring their small group leader or whatever. Like, bring somebody who can help. Bring support. And he goes on, and he says, if that doesn't work, get a leader involved. Like, like if you're in a small group, get your small group leader involved. If you serve on a team here, get your team leader involved. If you want, let me in. Like, I'll, I'll come with you. I'll help out. But he says, get somebody else involved and do it in the context of relationship as you try and confront somebody. And then eventually, He says, if you do all of that, right, you talk to them one-on-one, you tried, they didn't come back, you brought a friend, it didn't work out, you brought a leader in their life, it didn't work out, then Jesus says something that doesn't make a lot of sense in our context. He says, treat them like you would a tax collector. But his point is, like, eventually, you may have to change your relationship with them. You may have to, to set a boundary, you may have to change the dynamic in your relationship, but the point is we have to be careful in how we confront. We have to be intentional. We have to be strategic in some ways. And we have to go directly to the person and lovingly and gently try and restore them back. And I think maybe one of the most important things that we all need to do as it relates to loving a hypocrite is we each need to see when we're the hypocrite. We need to see when we're the hypocrite. And and none of us are immune from it. The truth is it's hard to see hypocrisy in the mirror. Uh, Jesus, as he's ranting about hypocrisy sometimes, he'll use the phrase blind fools to refer to hypocrites because hypocrites they can't always see their own behavior. They can't always see what they're going through. And there's an example of this that happened in the life of King David. King David, who was a a great leader in ancient Israel, and he was described as a man who was after God's heart. 
but who did a lot of really bad things, who, who made a lot of mistakes along the way. And it was in the midst of one of those mistakes that this dynamic shows up because David uh, had seen a woman and, and he liked her. And, and so he used his power to have a relationship with her. He committed adultery with uh, the woman Bathsheba and then she became pregnant. Uh-oh, right? And so David, again, using his power in an abusive way, sends his friend Uriah, her husband, to the front lines of battle where he was killed. Effectively, leveraging his power, he had his friend murdered to cover up for his own affair. And then in the midst of that, uh, David's friend, the prophet Nathan, shows up. And Nathan shows up to call David on the carpet about his behavior. And what Nathan does is he tells this story. And he says that there was once this rich man who had lots of cattle, and he was incredibly wealthy and could take care of everything. And then there was also this poor man. And all the poor man had was this one lamb, but he loved that lamb with everything that he had, like it was his lamb. And what happened was this traveler came to town. And when the traveler arrived, the rich man decided we should honor this man, we should throw him a banquet, we should throw him a feast. But rather than using his own cattle, the rich man who had all the means to make it happen, instead took the poor man's lamb that he loved and slaughtered it and served it for dinner to the traveler. And here's what the text says happens in David's life when he hears this story. It says, David burned with anger against the man. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and he had no pity. And then here comes the mic drop moment. <laughs> Nathan turns to David and he says, you are the man, right? Not in a good way. Not like, you're the man. Like, you are that man. You're that guy. But David was blind to it. In the hypothetical story that Nathan shared, David was all charged up and he was outraged and he could see it, but he couldn't see his own hypocrisy. And the truth is we can be the same way. We can miss out when we're falling into this. And I, I said it a little bit earlier. I want to say it again so that we really get it. The truth is in our lives, wherever you are the most condemning of others, is often a reflection of where you're most vulnerable. That where you're most tempted to critique other people is often the area where you may be struggling the most. And maybe you've met somebody like that. They're really judgy about how other people spend their money. But when you look at them, it's because greed is in their heart, because they're holding on too tightly to possessions and their money is what's driving them forward. Uh, maybe you've met somebody who's really like stringent and enforces sexual registration uh, regulations and boundaries and, and they're really critical of the way that everybody else dresses. But if you knew what was happening inside, it's because they're full of lust and, and because their relational world is broken in that way. Often the things we're most critical of are the things we're struggling with the most. Often self-righteous religious people are people who haven't yet accepted for themselves that God really loves them as much as he does. And so what do we do with that? Well, there's this metaphor that runs throughout all of scripture where Jesus says this, some of the leaders in the early church said this, they basically compare us, Jesus followers, to sheep. And it's not a flattering comparison because if you know sheep at all, uh, sheep are not really smart animals. They kind of wander around. If they see shiny things, they're like, ooh, off I go. Some of us are like that, right? Uh, but Jesus talks about us like sheep and he doesn't say if a sheep wanders off, write him off and say good luck to him. Right? Rather, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to go find the lost one. And James, Jesus' brother, as he was talking about this dynamic, that, that any of us can wander off, any of us can get lost on the path along the way, here's what he says. He says, if one of you should wander from the truth and then someone should bring that person back, remember this, 
Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. That's why we have to confront hypocrites in our lives. It's why we have to have the courage to lovingly, gently, and humbly go there because whoever goes after that one who's wandered away can potentially save them from harm and can save the countless others in their wake from harm as well. So the loving thing for us to do is to respond and to confront people in these moments, but we have to be intentional about how we do it. How do we love a hypocrite? Well, you confront them, but you confront them with the goal of restoring them. You don't punish them. You try and gently bring them back on the right path, and you confront them carefully. Go to them directly. Bring a friend if it doesn't work. Bring a leader if that doesn't work, but be intentional. And all along the way, stay mindful of yourself, knowing that none of us are immune from falling into this too that none of us are immune, and that it's not our job to fix people. It's our job to point people back to Jesus, who can fix people, who can heal people. And all along the way through this series, what we said is it's our job to love one another, but to love one another in a way that ultimately leads to life. So let me pray for you in that end. God, this whole conversation we've been in throughout this month, it is so much easier said than done. But God, we want to be people who reflect your heart. And so God, specifically today, as we've talked about hypocrites, I pray that we wouldn't respond emotionally, that we wouldn't uh, seek to punish those people in our life, that we wouldn't cancel them or push them away, but rather that we could be humble and we could be gentle and we could guide those people back onto the path that you have for them. God, give us the courage. If there's somebody in our life that we need to confront, give us the courage to do so in a loving way. Help us to be wise as we do it, speaking to the person directly and getting help when necessary. And God, may our eyes be open to our own behavior, to our own hypocrisy, and may we turn to you in the midst of that and ask you to change us from the inside out. God, we love you. We pray that you would make us into a people who reflect your heart in all kinds of relationships and in all kinds of contexts. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.